0: All right, we'll get started. A couple minutes behind. Give people a minute because of the inclement weather, such a downpour. Um, we'll pray tonight uh, for the Hucks. Uh, Fiesel mentioned they got. Sounds like he he talked to Jake today, and they could use some 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 rest. They're they're having some. It's not that the baby's staying up all night, but evidently Ava's getting up at like six in the morning and screaming. So, yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, the Hucks are um some church family that are in Kazakhstan right now. So any other prayer requests that you wanna mention? All right. Glad to hear things are going so well. That's good. Um I'd like to start with prayer and I'm just gonna pray through the word just the beginning of Psalm one thirty nine. I was reading it earlier today and Thinking about when we gather uh, for these times and how um, it's important that that uh, that we just let God guide it. Um, Jeff, on the last those two dimmers, can you turn these two on so I can see the notes? Because I will mess up if I don't. I think it's three and four. Oh, huh. oh yeah, yeah. All that. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Thanks. Uh, So let's pray. O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God, as we uh, enter into a time tonight of just looking at the Word together as family and looking at what you would have to tell us um, from it, I thank you for the reminder that you give us uh, in Second Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by you and that the things we're looking at tonight are profitable. God, I'm mindful that sometimes when we're studying things, we're not always immediately aware of why or how it's profitable, but we're l- we're learning and we're being taught, and our minds are being um, transformed and renewed uh, by the work of your Spirit. And so, before I utter a word, I confess what we just said in Psalm 139 that you know our words, you you can guide our words and use them for good. And I pray that you would do that tonight. And I pray that as we have discussion, as we look at, um, you continue to look at your design uh for uh for your people um i I just pray for patience i pray for insight i pray for wisdom for discernment god we want to pray uh for the hucks as uh as scott talked to jake this week uh just kind of sounds like they're they're tired they've been a little under the weather and there's a lot going on and so we just pray that you would give them a renewed spirit some energy uh, and uh, specific wisdom and discernment in some of the decisions that uh, that they're making over there. God, I pray that you would use them in a mighty way um, in the midst of a culture that doesn't know much of Jesus and, and many people who don't care uh, to know much of Jesus, that they would be a light that shines brightly, that they would not peddle the word, um, that they would be aromatic and honoring first to you and then to those in that culture. God, we thank you. Uh, again for the word, we thank you for this time, we thank you for the work of the Spirit at a time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I can open up to Genesis 21, Um, a quick recap kind of where we've been the last you know I guess eight nine chapters or so we've been looking at the life of this guy uh, Abraham and the ups and downs you know he's he's chosen by God he is he's uh, father Abraham that we have the songs about and uh, and he's uh, you know our heritage we trace it back we see that it is through father Abraham and through Isaac that we see uh, the covenant and, and the promises of God And it's interesting because God uses Abraham uh, in the way that he wants to use him. But still, even a a man who's so close to God, he still has these ups and downs in his life where one second you're like, yeah, Father Abraham, I'm going to sing the song for you. And then the next second you're just like, what are you doing in Egypt? Why are you giving your wife away? What in the world's going on? And so you see these ups and downs. And the thing that we keep in mind as we're studying through Genesis is it's not be like Noah be like Adam or be like Abraham. It's God is sovereign. God is king. Set your mind on him, on his on His ways, on his promises, on his design, and don't turn from it. One of the things we've been seeing is that anytime anybody in all of scripture, and history for that matter, takes God's design and they put it on a shelf and they try to do their own thing, it never works out well. And so we're going to continue in that, that theme tonight and looking at um, some of the consequences of of sin that had previously happened in the life of Abraham, and looking at God's continued plan to come to fruition as God deems it necessary, according to God's timing, and all those uh, all the details are God's, and He and He executes them perfectly. In Genesis twenty, just the previous chapter of twenty one, we're going to be in twenty one tonight, but in Genesis twenty, we saw this picture of the gospel where, essentially, Abraham did the same thing that he had done in Egypt um and he sinned against king abimelech and abimelech uh essentially what happens is he sinned against the king and somehow when it was all said and done he was given abundant riches a home in the kingdom uh and his he was considered innocent and vindicated and it's just this picture of the gospel that we have sinned against the king of kings and in christ he gives us these gifts that are far beyond our understanding We should be extremely thankful people because of the grace and mercy that's been extended to us. Uh, We also saw in chapter 20 that for the first time anyone is called a prophet. Abraham is called a prophet. And within that verse, Abraham, as a prophet, intercedes by way of prayer to God for Abimelech so that healing takes place. We know that the wombs of all the women were closed. It says on account of Sarah that all the wombs were closed. And we see that the first time someone's called a prophet is, is Abraham, and he intercedes. He wasn't the first prophet. It's the first time someone's referred to as a prophet. And he intercedes, and there's healing. And the wombs are opened, and uh, and there's healing because of uh, what God called him to do as a prophet. And our main point last week, we looked at prophecy. And I'll be honest, it was a confusing study to me. I mean, We talked about, you know, all the Genesis 19 craziness. Uh, everything from, you know, uh, sexual immorality and homosexuality and incest and last week it felt like prophecy was a little harder to talk to than any uh, talk about than any of those things, and it was puzzling to me, but our main point as we looked at prophecy was that it was to be a gift that we're to especially earnestly desire. However, we have to be careful not to sensationalize it there we can't We can 't just trump everybody by saying, "Well, God told me different, you know that's not a trump card that we can always throw down we don 't sensationalize Prophecy. Prophecy must always be viewed with mild skepticism. It is not to be despised, rather it's to be tested by the Word of God. And That's what we looked at in prophecy last week. And we'll actually see an example of that this week in chapter 21, or an effect of chapter 21. So look at chapter 21, and this week what we're going to be looking at is, I tried to sum it up in a sentence, and the sentence sounded so stupid that I had to share it with you. This week we're going to look at what happens when you're living together with your wife, your girlfriend, and your girlfriend's child. And then your child is born and the girlfriend's child mocks your wife's child on a really special day. That's essentially what we're looking at um, tonight with Father Abraham and his household. So look at Genesis 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. then we'll finish the chapter next week as we kind of continue looking at this, uh, God's promises. So one, uh, start at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, if, as we go back and we go through this verse a verse at a time, this chapter of Scripture is huge. The implications of what are happening to us right now, the things you've seen on the news today, are a product of what has happened here in Genesis 21. So this is, a lot of people, you know, they look at the Old Testament and they respond to it in a way that says kind of like, well, that's, that's not really very applicable to me today. That doesn't really have an impact or an effect on the way I feel like I'm supposed to live in Jesus today. And, and this has as direct effect as, as anything. And so we're going to look at verse 1 first and go through it a verse at a time. And verse 1, uh, the big point here is this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God has a way of, it's like, okay, I get the point. What? Why are you you know, reiterating this over and over again? Does God? The, the question to ask is, does God ever break his promises? The obvious answer is no. God never breaks his promises. Here, we see God again Uh Visit when he said he would visit, and doing what he said he'd promised. Look back to chapter 18, just the page before there. In chapter 18, verses 10 and 14. In 18.10, he says, uh, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Then you go to uh, verse 14, and it says, is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. What God is doing is he's, he's saying, I will do what I said I will do in the way that I said I would do it at the time that I will do it. Now, was Sarah always okay with this? No. That's how we got Ishmael. Sarah has not been okay with God's timing. Abraham has not been okay with God's timing. Oftentimes for us, God's timing is different than the way we would set it up if we could do so perfectly. And if we could set our lives up as perfect as we desired to, then we would absolutely have no need for faith, right? You wouldn't have to have faith. You would, there would be no hope in the things unseen because you could just make everything seen. There, there would be no, no reason to hold on to promises because there would be no need for promises because the thing would be in front of us. What we're seeing here is that God does things And this uh, you might, yeah, okay, I get it. No, God is reiterating this in the scriptures, so we must reiterate it ourselves as we study it, that he does things how he wants to do it, according to the timeline, and in the exact way that he designs. And sometimes we don't understand it, sometimes it, it, it causes more hardship for us, which we'll talk about, Brad's been talking about it for three weeks in James, um... That it will cause more hardship. It could cause you know, hard seasons. But God does everything perfectly according to his plan. And he absolutely never breaks his promises. That was one of the things with the children's clubs over at the park. This thing that kept recurring. We were talking about Pharaoh. Pharaoh was like, yeah, if you do that, I'll let you go. And then he'd, he'd go back and he'd break his promises and break his promises. But God never breaks his promises. He's always doing things according to his plan. Look at verse 2. Get this whole section here. Uh, verse 2 really through 5. Is humorous. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Do you hear some repetition here? Whenever see, again, whenever you see repetition in Scripture, pay attention. God's saying, hey, I'm saying it over and over again. I want you all to see the big point here. What are the details? Look at the details included. Oftentimes, when God is calling us to make note of His faithfulness, even in our unfaithfulness, He is always faithful. He includes the details so that we realize He didn't leave anything out. There's no part of the Bible where one can say, oh, look, God went back on His Word. There's no part of Scripture where anybody can say, God messed up. God changed, no, he went back on his word. He always fulfills it perfectly. Now, what are the things that are, the details that are included? Sarah conceived. I mean, as if it's been, it's already been said, let's say it again. Sarah conceived. Why is that staggering? How old is Sarah? 90. 90. That's a big deal. I mean, if my 90 year old great grandma conceived a child, I would say it over and over again. Yeah, great grandma conceived a child. Which one? The 90 year old. To great-grandma, the the 90-year-old. I mean, it's a big deal. Sarah conceived. Then it says, what's another detail? She bore Abraham a son. Not a daughter. Not a dog or cat, a son. The details are according to God's design. When? In his old age. Again, we've already seen this in the previous chapters. God wants us to see, look, I said it was going to happen, didn't I? Didn't I say that was going to happen? What'd you do, Sarah? What'd Sarah do when God visited her for lunch at their tent that day with the backwards baby announcement. Was Sarah like, oh, praise the Lord. She laughed. She laughed at God in a mocking tone. God said, I'm going to do this. And Sarah said, ha! You don't do that with God. That's not a right response to God. So God's including all the details here again. Sarah conceived. She bore Abraham a son. When? In his old age. At what time? At the time of which God had spoken. Not any other time, not just whenever it happened that she maybe kind of, you know, it all just worked out. No, at the specific time that God had spoken, Abraham called the son who was born to him Isaac. Look, at, look back at chapter 17, verse uh, 19. 17, 19. God said, no, but Sarah, this is when Abraham was like, what about Ishmael? I mean, we got him, just use Ishmael. God's saying, Ishmael's not my plan. Ishmael's a child of the flesh, not the promise. Ishmael's not my plan. However, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God has included some crazy details up front that it was real hard for Abraham and Sarah to 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 grab onto like, "Oh, okay, he's 100, I'm 90, going to have a baby. Call, okay, sure, when he gets here we'll call him Isaac. That's 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 fine, whatever." God includes all these details and here he's reiterating them because he wants us to see that he is God. His plan is perfect. He will accomplish as it says in Isaiah, "I will accomplish all my purposes." Nothing we do can can offset or or sideline God's purposes. Abraham called the son who was born to him Isaac. Who bore it? It says it again. Whom Sarah bore it to him. It's, it's said it multiple times here. And then again, Abraham was a hundred years old. In case you didn't catch it, the first five times I said it, dude was a hundred, a century old, and they had a baby. When his son. Isaac was born to him. I mean, reiter- re- repetition, repetition, repetition. All of God's details, all of God's design, according to God's perfect plan, came together at God's perfect time. That's how it works. That's what we should pray towards. Not, God, shift this. God, I need, I need the money sooner. God, you know, God's perfect timing is perfect. It's not imperfect in any way. So all God's details, all God's design, according to God's perfect plan, came together at God's perfect time. Look at verse 6. This is so cool because I can relate to Sarah here, even though I'm a guy, I can relate to Sarah here in a way that you see a change in her attitude. You see her go through something and there's a change. Um, What was once a laughter of mockery is now a laughter of celebration. When she was in the tent and God said, she's, you know, cooking, but she's kind of eavesdropping and God said, Sarah's going to have a baby and she, ha, you know, laughs and, and then she lied to God right after that. How awkward is that? I didn't say that. Yes, you did. Okay, it's like kind of like Adam and Eve hiding behind the tree from God. Where are you? He knows where they are. He knows, I mean, you don't get away with things uh, with God in that manner. But it's cool here because we see a change in Sarah's attitude. We see her go through something that is difficult, that takes faith, that only God can do, and and there's been heartache through it, but we see a change in her attitude. and th- th- This is cool. There's lots of... uh. It says, uh, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. There's lots of laughter when a child is born. There's lots of laughter when a couple is married. You know, you go to any, any event where a family is celebrating something, and there's lots of laughter. And it's laughter because it goes with the celebrations going on, and that's the kind of laughter we're seeing here. Have any of you, and and I'd actually like some talk back on this. This isn't one of those uh, questions that doesn't require an answer. I'm wondering, have any of you had an experience where God revealed something to you, and at first it seemed laughable in a ridiculous way? But then over time, in an obedient response, the thing made sense, and then you could laugh in a way, kind of celebrating God's faithfulness to something that you thought was kind of silly at first. That was a long question. Is anybody tracking with me on that? Have any of you had an experience? And I really want to hear this because I think that in the expression of it, if anyone here has had something like that, I've got some examples in case no one has. But I think that in the expression of that, hearing that, you know, God said this for my life and I said, that's ridiculous, and kind of laughed at God like, ha, huh? right? And then over time, God taught me some things that changed that, and now I can look back and laugh as celebration because of God's faithfulness through that thing that I didn't see. Has anybody been through anything like that in here? Anything come to mind? This is where we let the crickets chirp for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, adoption is, a, is, a, is a, an example that, I mean, I've heard people, even, even just on the front end saying, I feel like we're called to adopt, but it's like $60,000 or something. That's, that's ridiculous. Ha! And then they get a phone call that just blows them out of the water, and they're like, oh my goodness, God is so faithful, and I'm so not faithful. And then they could laugh looking back on it when they're sitting there with their child, rejoicing at the faithfulness of God. Does anybody else have any circumstances? I mean, anything. It's good to hear that from the body. Is Rhonda in here? I'll call her out. Where is she? Oh, nice. That's nice. Yeah, I was talking to Rhonda today, and I was asking her the same question. Um, and she said, yeah, because she, she had done children's ministry for many years um, before she came here, and, and, and we needed someone to do administrative stuff and uh and when ben called her for the first time when she was not doing uh, ministry anymore and said would you be interested in coming up here and and doing you know ministry from an administrative standpoint uh she she's like yeah um maybe let me think about it and he goes well will you pray about it she goes sure ha he called her back 2 weeks later said have you prayed about it she goes no I haven't even prayed about it. No, why would I be called to that? That's just silly. And I was talking to her today, watching her run 100 miles an hour in there, doing all this stuff and and keeping things straight. And now she can look back on that and laugh as a celebration because of God's faithfulness through taking her through a season that she was like, "Mm, I don't think so at first. But then when she got through it, there's blessing. And she sees that God is very faithful. I've heard people talk about it with uh, tithing. And their checkbooks. That was an example that popped in my head. You study scripture. You do all you can to try and reason away the tithe. You do all you can to do these gymnastics where you're like, surely I don't have to give sacrificially. Surely that's not something in there. And then, then you finally come to a place where you're like, oh, man. I think 10% is like a starting place. It's just a matter of giving sacrificially. Wait, look at our budget. Let's look at the number. No- ha! whatever. No way is that going to work. That's never going to work out. And I've heard couple after couple after couple say that's how they started in, in their journey of faith and they were looking at giving sacrifice and they're like, ha, whatever. And then a couple of year, you know, maybe a year, maybe a couple months down the road after they've been doing that, they're balancing their checkbook and they're going, huh. And they're laughing at their foolishness in celebration of God's faithfulness. There's a lot of examples. Does anybody have anything they want to share? This is the last chance. You're not going to be able to sleep tonight. God's going to convict you for not sharing something. that could have encouraged someone. All right. Jobs are another big one. You know, God, you're calling me to do that. Ha, I don't think so. Oh, I had had a personal one. Meh, maybe not. Well, I, I used to, I, I lived in North Dallas before I came here, and I was at a church of about 3,000, and I thought, I know what church is, and then I was like, maybe God's calling me away from here, I don't really know, and then I wasn't doing anything, I was pulling wire, I, I was doing something, I was pulling wire, I was, however, not doing full-time ministry, and I get this call from Ben McGraw, who I didn't know at the time, and he's like, hey, I live in Greenville, Texas, would you like to come out and talk to me about blah, blah, I was like, hmm, Greenville where where's that and and the only thing that I knew about Greenville was it was where the weatherman stands that was all that I knew on the news you're always going what's the temperature in Greenville Because that's where the weatherman stands <laughs> and uh and that was the, that was it that was all I knew and uh and I remember the first time I drove up to you know I met Ben and we talked to her and I was like really ha I don't know and then I remember the first time I drove up with my wife and we saw <laughs> we drove up to the corner and I said there it is honey and she goes where where's the building Like You see that little L-shaped thing over there? That's it. And it's funny because at first it was laughable, the thought of moving out of the big city and and moving to a place where like 30 or 40 people were gathering for corporate worship and thinking, really, I'm going to come here and God's going to take care of my family? And we're not going to sleep out in the cold and eat ramen noodles every day? Like, really, that's going to happen? Ha, I don't know if I can make that move, God. And as he taught me and showed me things, not only can I be on the other side of it and it be laughable to an extent that I can't even express, but he taught me what the church was through that process. I had such a skewed view of what the church even was. Like, what is the bride? What is the church? And he's taught me over five years that and so I can sit on the other side of it and laugh saying, God is so faithful and I'm so faithless at times. But his timing's perfect. His design's perfect. His details that he includes are perfect. That's what we see here with Sarah. And so when you see that change in Sarah's attitude, it's worth rejoicing over. It's worth, you know, when we read our Bibles, we're not just reading it to gather facts. We don't just read our Bibles as a history lesson. We can rejoice with Sarah that God is faithful. And we can do so personally because anyone in here who's a child of God has seen it. And it's worth rejoicing over. In verse 7, it says, uh, uh, And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 90, hello. Um, Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said that Sarah, his almost century old wife, would nurse children? They didn't have Walmart. You couldn't run up and buy a can of powder and mix it up with the faucet. They didn't have that. The child had to nurse. It's interesting because Sarah's response is, I didn't even think about that. Like, I didn't even think about that. Like, the whole thing about being pregnant and having a baby, and it's like the baby's there, and then Sarah's like, I gotta nurse this thing. I didn't even think about that. What a blessing. What a beauty. She's saying, I didn't think about that. She's saying, I don't know if anyone would have thought about that. The point is that God alone is the author of such things. I'm thinking about Brad's sermon uh, in James where he explains that it's through trial that you're made to have uh, staying power. And, uh, and you come out and, and you see, you go through these trials and you, and, and there's, there's blessings that come along the way that you're like, I didn't even think about that. I would never have fathomed that God would bless me in that way. Huh, and, and again, it's a, it's a means of rejoicing about how great God is. The point, praise God for those blessings that came about that you never thought, you never would have thought otherwise to even look for them. Praise, like what I said, when I came here to help, plant this church, never in a million years would I have thought that God would teach me what church is, what his bride is, how he views it, the value that is there, the redemption that is there, the the unity in the body that is a more beautiful thing that I can give words to. I pff, I never would have foreseen that, but it's a blessing along the way that you can look back and say, Who'd have thought that? And we praise God for it. Because his timing's perfect. His details are perfect. He doesn't leave anything out. Verse eight Yeah. Well, one, thank you for sharing it. The, one of the things that you just touched on, I want to be careful not to not to present a wrong view of something. I, I was talking to someone who had been through a, I'd had a family member who had been through a real tragedy. I mean, tragedy. And, um, and years had passed. And like this tragedy was still just every day. That's all that their day was about. And years had passed. And it was a death of, of a loved one. And I was talking to another pastor. and I said, you know, I just wish that they'd get over it. God is good. And he looked at me, me not having known that, that he had actually, that pastor had lost a spouse. Little did I know. He looked at me and he said, you don't get over that. It's not, you don't just get over. It's not like just some small hurdle that you get over. And then on the other side, you can look back. Rather, a better way to describe it, he explained to me, was that you learn to, to live with that, that change in life because God is good. Because God is faithful, you don't just get over the hurdle and look back and say, well, that was hard, but, you know, I'm over it. There may never be a time in life where you say, I'm over it, but you can celebrate, and the laughter, like from what you just said, Marie, learning about the church, learning about unity, learning about God's faithfulness, those are the celebration points, those are the things that you can celebrate over because it is God who is faithful. So I want to be careful that I don't communicate that bad things in life will happen, and you just get over it, and then you can laugh on the other side. You don't necessarily get over it, but you do learn to live within it because we know, one, this is not our home, this is temporary, and two, God is faithful, and he takes care of his children, and he provides for his children, which is something we see in the rest of the chapter. Uh, we'll transition into verse 8, and in verse 8, um, verse is where the craziness uh of of the chapter breaks out it 's a party gone bad it's uh it's it's a situation where uh everything changes it 's a moment of celebration and then it 's like boom, a bomb just falls and it's and it 's bad and and you see a woman 's scorn uh in the, in this next section in verse eight um it says in in verse eight and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast. On the day Isaac was weaned, I, I learned this this week. Does anybody know why the day of weaning was a, a day for a great feast? Yeah, evidently the the infant um, the death rate of of of, of infants was high um, in that time, and so to be able to nurse w- to the extent that you need to to get the the nutrients and vitamins that you need um, to 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 live through those first few years was. Reason for a great feast. And so it was a celebration of life is what it was. Like we think of birthday parties, like the first birthday party. This was like birthday party times 10. Like this is a celebration of life. The baby made it. The baby is weaned. There's a celebration of life and it's a celebration of faith. The faithfulness of God. God did this. God brought this child and now on this day of weaning, this day where the child uh, can, can start to transition to that new part of life. It's a, it's a day of life, it's a day of celebration, and it's a day of celebrating the faithfulness of God. Uh, the infant mortality rates were higher uh, in that day. So you combine, what, you combine this with the fact that God had told them that this is a child of blessing. Like, take that. It's a day of life. It's a celebration. The child made it through those harder infant years. The child is alive. It's a celebration. It's a great feast. There's lots of people there. There's good food and good drinks, and, and, it's, a, and it's celebration. And you combine the, the life and the faithfulness of God with the fact that God told them that this child is a blessing and part of his covenant that he's made with them. So not only did this child live and there's life, but this child's important to God's design and God's plan. So this day indeed was a celebration. I mean, I want to, I want y'all to think about the the greatest party slash celebration slash uh, what do you call them after a wedding, the re- reception, uh, the best one you've ever been to. Like it pales in comparison to this. This is a huge celebration. This child is important because of God's designed for the child's life, and the child has lived through a hard time so this is a real celebration and i'm reiterating that because i want us to climb into that and and be see see the faces the people at this party think about the attitude and the laughter in the air that laughter celebration of god is faithful and god is good and this is a good time and then the verse nine it all goes crazy but sarah saw the son of hagar the egyptian whom she had born to abraham Laughing. This was a bad move on Ishmael's part. Sarah's about to go nuts, just absolutely crazy, in response to this. She is hacked. You ever been doing like? You ever been in a situation like? I'm thinking back when I was a kid, and we'd all be playing, throwing the ball in the house, and we're all laughing. Then all of a sudden, someone breaks the window, and it's like Mom flips this switch. It's like. <gasps> She's going to kill one of us. Like, this is bad. This is serious. This went from good to real bad, real fast. What are we going to do? And, uh, and, and it happened a couple times. So we'd be playing, and like there were two or three times where my brother Cody, there was one time I kicked two of his teeth out. We were all on the trampoline and playing, and I was like, and, and knocked two of his teeth, I just go Poof, flying out. And it was like happy, joy, fun time. And then mom's like, you kicked your brother's teeth out of his face. And, and she does this kind of change. That doesn't even almost compare to what Sarah does here. She's hacked. Sarah saw Ishmael laughing. Mockery. Now get the picture here. Ishmael is probably about 17 or 18 now. Because Ishmael was like 13-ish when Isaac was born, and we know that he went through the, the time of being weaned. And so we can assume that 16, 17, 18, whatever, it's not all that important. The point is, is he was older and Isaac was younger. It's kind of that brat teenage kid that doesn't mind picking on a little kid. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen a teenager pick on like a five-year-old? And you're like, oh, what's wrong with that kid? That's not right. That's what's going on here. The severity of this situation is high. Uh, Calvin observes this. His notes on this are really good. He said, uh, but Ishmael, with canine and profane laughter, attempts to destroy that holy joy of faith. So he's looking at Ishmael. He's seeing the party, the celebration, holy, really true, wholehearted joy of the faithfulness of God. And here Ishmael is trying to rip it apart with his laughter. He says, and there is no doubt that his manifest impiety against God betrayed itself under the ridicule. It says, he had reached an age, he was old enough, at which he could not by any means be ignorant of the promised favor. He knows about the promised child, the child of the covenant. And you can be certain that when this child was born, he understood, he heard what was going on uh, in, in God's design. He could not by any means be ignorant of the promised favor, on account of which his father Abraham was transported with so great joy. And yet... Proudly confident in himself. He's not confident in God. He's not confident in even his father. He's not saying, I'm Abraham's son. He's confident in himself. He insults in the person of his brother, both God and God's word, as well as the faith of Abraham, his father. That, that is, that's what he has insulted. In insulting his brother in that way, laughing at him, kind of like, oh yeah, promised kid, big party. You kind of see him, ha. It's kind of, have you ever seen the movie? I was. T- <laughs> this may be dumb. Have you ever seen the movie where, like, every like some guys are celebrating, and then that guy steps out of the shadows, kind of going, <laughs> and kind of it's like, wah, 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 you know, like like all the joy goes away. That's kind of what I see Ishmael doing here, where he's like, whoop Whoop-dee-doo. Child of the promise and laughing and making a mockery of it. And as he insults his brother, he insults God. He insults God's faithfulness. And he insults the faithfulness of his father Abraham. And the joy that they're expressing is like, this isn't a reason for joy. This is dumb. It's mockery. See the severity of the situation. This is one of the greatest celebrations ever. Took a 180 because of the mockery and the laughter of Ishmael. Nothing is, uh, Calvin includes at the end of that note, and this is a great point. It it makes me, am I mindful of this? Do I respond like this? For nothing is more grievous to a holy mind than to see the grace of God exposed to ridicule. When you see God's grace exposed to ridicule, when you hear someone talk of God and his mercy and his design as though it's utter foolishness, it should frustrate you. Now, you don't have any right to rip their face off and tell them where you think they're going. You're supposed to give an account for the hope that you have with gentleness and love and peacefulness and patience and all these things. Uh, but there is nothing more grievous to a holy mind it's about our minds than to see the grace of God exposed to ridicule. Now, look at verse ten. what is uh, looking at sarah 's response, Does she say anything about Hagar? No, that slave woman. you can hear the disdain in her voice it 's like someone walks in the room that one. I'm not even going to say her name. It's not even worthy of it. The slave woman and her child get the slave. I mean, look at it. So she said to Abraham, who'd she say it to? Abraham. This is not normal. At this time, if a wife were to speak to uh, the one who she's already referred to as Lord, uh, Abraham, in this way, it is not normal. We see what is going on here as definitely outside of the norm, mainly because God has a big plan in it. And that which, um, what was it that I wrote down today? Um, It might seem odd that God allows this to happen, um, especially when we see Ishmael in the wilderness about to die. Uh, We may rest assured that whatever God, the Spurgeon said this, we may rest assured that whatever God commands, he will be quite certain to justify. This situation's odd, but she says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The only name she says in that is Isaac. Isaac is central to her right now. And she is hacked. She is hacked. She wants the slave woman and this child of the flesh out of the house. Go time. You have have overstayed your welcome. It's time for you to be escorted out of this house. There must be a separation here. Um, Verse 11 shows us Abraham's response. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham. Why? Why was it displeasing? Yeah, it's his son. Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's head right now? Uh, uh, I, you, you, he, oh, it's been okay for a few years. Um, uh, what's going on? Now Isaac's here. everything's. I mean, you could just see him freaking out. Like his head's going to explode or something. I cannot imagine what he was feeling at this point. He knows he made a mistake. That was obvious from the get-go. Now... Ishmael is older, and he's laughing at the child of the promise, the child of the covenant, and Sarah's hacked. He says, get him out. And we see that this was displeasing to Abraham. Why? Because it's his son. But look at verse 12. This is, this, this is cool. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Does God tell Abraham to listen to Sarah cuz Sarah scares God a little bit too Is that what happened here? Is God like, "Oh, Abraham, I ain't even touching that. one. you better you better get them out of the house." No. The reason God tells Abraham to do what Sarah told him to do is because it's God's plan. God doesn't submit to us like that. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, "That's weird. God's like, because I, I, in my mind, I picture God kind of going like, oh, man, you have done it now. You are in deep trouble. You better get him out of the house now. Like God's whispering, that, that frantic whisper, go, get him out. Do what she said. She's going to rip your face off. God's not submitting to Sarah. The whole reason that this is happening is because it's God's plan. It's God's design. Otherwise, God would not be saying, do what she said. She said what you're supposed to do because it's actually part of my design. Why? Because he's God, we are not. The statement in chapter 12, and, and we'll we'll wrap it up here in just a couple minutes. Because this is, in a way, I kind of feel like this whole study has been a kind of a precursor, an introduction to next week's study, in a sense. Because we get to talk about some really great stuff as far as the difference between the children of the flesh versus the children of the promise. And it's really very directly impacting to us, but at the end of this uh, verse, in verse 12, it says, there's a a statement that's huge. I mean, this statement is a statement that affects everything that happens to every single one of you every day. And the statement is this, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That statement is monumental. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This statement here, we're going to go back to it, we're going to look at it Next week in Galatians 4, maybe Romans 9 a little bit. We don't want to go there too much. Uh, And and look at what God means by through Isaac shall your offspring be named because it affects us directly. Because of what he is saying and because of what he is saying, it's not through Ishmael. It's not through Ishmael. And there's a lot of people in the world that don't believe that. And the ones who don't believe that are hacked. Uh, Earlier, there's... We're going to look at them in the wilderness uh, next week. Um, we're going to look at God's provision uh, for His people and even God's provision for those who are not necessarily His people. We're going to look at what it means that uh, the rain falls on the on the just and the unjust. Uh, we're going to look at God's provision and God's love. Um, it's interesting here, it says... In verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away, and she departed, and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. It's interesting, the departure. Um, it's interesting that Abraham gets up early in the morning. Who, uh, 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 he's being contrasted with someone here. You know who he's being contrasted with? Lot. Remember, Lot, run for your life. Oh, he's asleep. Lot, wake up. Oh, he doesn't want to wake up. And then you see the angels carrying Lot out of Sodom. And you see this, um, this dragging of his feet. And the difference here is Abraham, he was hurt in his heart. He was grieved. God told him, do not be displeased. But we know, he's saying, this is, this is my son. I mean, Ishmael's my son. And in fact, before Isaac was ever here, I had a lot invested in Ishmael. I really thought that Ishmael was going to be the child of the promise. And we see that it grieved Abraham to do what God told him to do, but Abraham woke up early. If something grieved, if God tell, told me to do something that was going to grieve me, and I knew that it was coming the next morning, I'd probably sleep in. And I'd probably get up and have a big breakfast, long, kind of do it, you know, oh man, I don't want to do this. I hate to have to make this phone call or write this letter or go take care of this issue. I just don't want to do it. Our tendency is to drag our feet up a lot like Lot did, but here, We can learn something from Abraham. He got up early, and he did exactly what God told him. We're going to look next week at the provision of everything, Uh, their provision in the wilderness. We're going to look at what happens to us when we get in situations of despair. And a lot of times when we're in situations of despair, we just don't think the right way. Our eyes are closed to beauties around us, but because we're in such despair, and we're so depressed, and we're so downtrodden, that we can't see the beauty of God all around us. We can't see God's provision all over the place because we're so terrified and it's not out of the norm to be terrified but god gives us hope in that and he tells us to lift up our eyes and look at what he has for us that's what we're going to be looking at next week um i mentioned that 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 statement and i'll kind of this is just a precursor to some of the things we're going to look at next week but the statement through isaac shall your offspring be named there are a number of people in the world that do not believe it is through isaac Like I believe that my God, the sovereign God, the king of kings stated it is through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. That the children of the promise, the children of the covenant are through Isaac. There are millions of people in the world that believe it's Ishmael. And there are fights going on all over the globe because of the difference between Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, I was studying this week, and I felt dumb that I didn't know this. And so I'll share it with you. And the ones who know it will say, "Yes, you are dumb." And the ones who don't know it will be like, "I'm not going to tell anybody I didn't know that." But that's interesting. Um, the, I was looking at um, the the lineage, and you know where where um, the Muslim religion comes into play, and how Muhammad uh, is the one who stated in, in the Quran that it was. I, he believes that it's Ishmael that the child of the promise, the child of God the one who has the covenant promises of God he believed he believed it was Ishmael and that's Islam and the Taliban like you you think this doesn't affect you? would you pay for gas? I mean yeah it's gone down but it's still 265. That's a direct response, a daily thing because Abraham faithlessly slept with Hagar. It goes all the way back. I looked at the the trees, the genealogy stuff. 22 generations from Ishmael, you come to Muhammad. 23 generations from Abraham, you come to Muhammad. And Muhammad looks back at those generations and he says, it is Ishmael who is the child of the promise, the child of the covenant, not Isaac. And so you know what we have now? Palestinians and uh, like Iran, Ahmadinejad, I'm sure I'm butchering that. The guy who wants to get the nuclear power and says, I want to wipe Israel off the map. Do you know why he wants to wipe Israel off the map? Because he thinks Ishmael is the child of the promise, not Isaac. This is staggering to me. I I mean, I, I feel like it's dumb that we don't all just know all the details of this. But you look at it, 22 generations from Ishmael, you come to Muhammad who comes in and says, I have a word from the Lord. And he tells me that it's Ishmael, not Isaac. They want to, and now those people, you get um, extremist groups of, of the Muslim sect, and they say, uh, I, I want to wipe Israel off the map. This is evil, and anyone who has anything to do with Israel deserves to die. Guess who one of America's allies is? Israel. And I really hope we don't change our mind on that, because everyone who sets themselves against Israel doesn't seem to turn out so well in the end. Now, this is, this is, uh, this is staggering. We're going to talk more about it next week uh, because uh, the, the the war stuff that's going on, our gas prices, our economy issues, all these things that we think are just so disconnected from the Bible, it, it, so much of it has stemmed from Abraham's mistake in listening to Sarah and, and taking it upon himself to play God and create a child through Hagar named Ishmael. And now there's millions of people who want to wipe Israel off the map because they're still saying, no, we are the people of God, not you, and because you say it, you deserve to die. Interestingly, Muhammad, what did he say? He said, I have a word from the Lord. What did we learn last week about prophecy? If anyone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord, how do you weigh it? You Go to the word. What does the word say? Through Isaac shall your offspring be named, clear as day. And there are huge, huge, huge ripples because of that. Because someone says, I have a word from the Lord, and it says something different than that. If it's different than that, it is untrue. Blasphemous against the Lord. So, we'll be looking at that next week. I think it's going to be a a cool uh, study. Um, Are there any questions before we finish? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that his plan changes at yeah. the Monster Yes and sovereign. But I think it was not it would never be his intention for her to go off of him. Even though he knew that was to happen, he didn't have any plan to yeah. work just despite our own selfishness. Yeah. And I think that's what's so incredible about God's faithfulness despite our own. Yeah. It's interesting because like I'm careful about I don't want to misquote what you just said. I'm careful about saying it wasn't God's plan, but he used it like despite us because I think that I, don't, I certainly don't want to paint a picture of God saying, oh, <clears throat> I did not see that coming. That was not part of my plan. Yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm careful about that, but I, it's cool in, in the chapter because you look, it was chapters before that God made a plan. The whole reason he took care of Ishmael and didn't let him die. I'm going to spoil the ending. Ishmael doesn't die in the desert. We'll talk about it next week. Um, the whole reason he doesn't let him die is because he's he promised Abraham he said Abraham I'm, I'm going to make a nation out of him now it's through Isaac that all the nations are going to be blessed but with Ishmael he's your kid and I'm going to ma- I'm going to make a nation out of him and I'm going to take care of him and it's okay and, and part of that is why we can see Abraham father Abraham who has all these riches these kings have just blessed him abundantly and he sends him away with what a little thing of water a little thing of bread good luck why? Well, he believes God. He believes that God will provide, and it's cool because you see that. You see that riff. It's not, Sarah is not necessarily a beacon of obedience, necessarily. I mean, even in just her tone with her husband. Gosh, it's just not a beacon of obedience here. But we see that God's design is so that he was already planning chapters ahead. I'm going to take care of you. I'm, and he comforts Abraham in that. I mean, he could just say, Abraham, you screwed up. Let it go. I'm going to kill the kid in the desert. Who are you to talk back to God? But he didn't. He comforts him. He shows love that is very hard to explain. Just saying, look, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to make a nation out of him. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man who has beef with everybody. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to take care of him. And I think that's what God yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, God meets everybody in their sin. You know, there's, there's no one who got cleaned up first. And then God's like, oh, thank you. A lot of times we present Noah in that way, like he was the only one who could clean it up so that God didn't kill him in the flood. No, God meets everybody in their sin. I, t- I definitely agree with that. Any other thoughts or comments or questions? Yeah, I just think, you know, Oh, that's a great point, yeah. And I, and I think that we sometimes miss that because we're so caught up in it. we should be just glory. Yeah. so many people that are watching Yeah. Yeah, the best evangelism we can have is praising God. I mean, the best evangelism we can do is putting God's glory on display every every day of your life. It's funny, people call up the church or look at the website, what's your, what's your evangelism program? We love God. <laughs> we praise him every day. We go to work and we say, God's good. You wanna hear about him? Do you know him, that whole thing? Yeah, that's that's man, that's very evangelistic. That's a great point. Yeah, they're, yeah, well, it's, uh, it's yet another just shining example of that you you see this. There's nothing more um, more clear of an explanation about how great God is than you see someone in a crisis, and you, and you go up to comfort them. Then they turn around, and all of a sudden they're comforting you. They're like, hey, God is good. God's sorry. He's okay. He's blessed me through this. And you're like, okay. And you kind of go sit down. And it's all confusing. But when you see someone in the middle of a crisis like that who has other people in mind, who has God's faithfulness and wanting to be evangelistic in the expression of it? There's nothing that to points to that. That's God. That's not that person. That person may be a wonderful, nice individual, but it's only God can work in a person like that to make them point to Him in that and rejoice over even the the, the hardship, knowing it will produce staying power, which leads to per- perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Anything else? Any other questions or things to share? When I wanted you to share earlier, when I asked the leading question, no one was sharing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Man. Well, let's. Uh, unless anyone has anything else. That's rich. Let's let's uh, let's just pray and thank God. I mean, it, He shows us it in the Word, and then we have like ten very personal examples just to the people sitting here on how God is so faithful. He's so good. So let's uh, let's pray and thank Him for that. Uh, God, You're. <laughs> Your will, your design, your purposes, your details, your timing is perfect. God, I thank you of the, just the things that we've heard here uh, tonight. Of different families that have gone through different things where at the time, they maybe they would say they weren't happy with you or your design or your details or your plans. And now looking back, um, having gone through that and it's still being a major part of their lives, that we can say you are faithful and we're not. God, my prayer above above making any strategical point about uh, anything from an academic standpoint tonight, my prayer is that you're exalted and that Christ is exalted. We celebrate the fact that in Christ we're made heirs. In Christ we're given eternal inheritance that is unlike anything this world has ever seen. That in Christ and in what was accomplished on the cross, that we can look to you and know that you are a sovereign, faithful God who provides for us always. And I pray that our response would not be that we get big heads and think, oh, look how great we are that God would do something for us, but that we would come in low and realize that none of us deserve the blessings we've received. And to see what happened with your son on the cross, and to see an empty tomb, and to see how we are made heirs of that inheritance, that we are brought into a covenant people, that we are uh, being given those promises as your children. God, that's amazing. You are sovereign. You are good. You are great. You're greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. We can't know it. It's too, uh, too high, as it said in, uh, in, in Psalm 139. God, we thank you for our time. We pray that, again, you would just be honored in everything we do. We desire that you would enable us by the work of your spirit to go and do what we do, whether it's at work or school or home, and live for your glory, uh, um, putting your glory on display in everything we do. God, we love you. We pray for patience this week, and we also pray for uh, perseverance. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.